Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Amen. You guys take a seat. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision. I'm excited to be here this morning. How about you? All right. So I am not the first Revision staff member on the stage today. And I want to kick things off by saying something about Jeremy and Courtney. They may be great at singing and doing announcements, respectively, but you want to know something the two of them are not great at? Using coolers. I realize that sounds like an incredibly simple thing that every human adult should be great at, and I would have thought that they were highly capable in that arena until a couple weeks ago when they hauled two coolers into our office to unload some leftover drinks from a Sunday. And I heard a giant commotion, so I went to see what was going on. And as I sloshed my way into the kitchen, they explained, we tilted this cooler too far and a bunch of water fell out the lid. Which, like, on its own might be understandable, but they weren't finished. Because then they said, oh yeah, and the plug on the other cooler is open, so it has been actively leaking the entire time it's been in the office. It was like a shocking amount of water and a shocking level of cooler incompetency. (laughs) But it did get me thinking about how destructive leaks can be. Like a water leaking from a cooler can do some damage. Oil leaking from a pipeline under the Gulf of Mexico can wreak havoc on an entire ecosystem. Last week, my next door neighbors had carbon monoxide leaking from their HVAC system. And I don't even want to imagine what would have happened if their sensors didn't go off. Like leaks can be powerful and dangerous. And leaks aren't just for liquids and gases escaping the containers we try to keep them in. We have emotional leaks as well. There are things in our lives that cause our joy and our meaning and our purpose and our hope to leak. And this morning we're going to close our How Happiness Happens series by talking about the single thing I believe is the greatest leak in our lives. It's this thing that we choose, and when we choose it, we drill a hole in ourselves to the point that no matter how much happiness we try to fill ourselves up with, it will ultimately leak and will be left empty. This thing called bitterness. Because rarely is your soul as in danger as it is when somebody hurts you, because it's so easy to get bitter. It's so easy to define ourselves and our lives by the things that have happened to us. It's so easy to get angry and hold a grudge. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the recipe Jesus says will conquer all of that. Forgiveness. And I realize as soon as I say the word forgiveness, objections start popping up in some of our minds because we're like, yeah, 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 forgiveness is great, but I have something in my life that's beyond forgiving. Like, I want to be forgiven for the small things I've done, but if you knew the level of suffering I've experienced, you'd know why this is simply not possible for me. And all the way C.S. Lewis puts it. He said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. 
And I don't know if that hits the nail on the head for any of you, but it absolutely does for me. This morning, I'm talking to all of you who have ever been wronged. Any of you who've been lied to or lied about, misused, abused, misrepresented, forgotten or made to feel foolish, dishonored, disrespected, or dismissed. This is for you, and it's heavy, heavy stuff. And I think if you're anything like me, it really is a lot easier when you're the offender than it is when you're the victim. I think if you talk to my wife, she'd tell you that I rarely ever do anything wrong, and maybe it happens once a month or so, but don't ask her. Okay, let's just trust me on that. No, for me, it's this daily struggle, and some days it's hourly, and whenever I'm the offender, it's really meaningful for me to lean in to the loving grace of God. But when I am the offended, I feel a strong compulsion to stand upon the justice of God. Anybody else? Like, you've been there? And the worst part is I live in a life stage right now where the hypocrisy of my thoughts and feelings about forgiveness is often made evident within the space of a few minutes. I can go from being the perpetrator to the victim of the exact same action. That's a life stage called parenting. And what I want to do is be forgiven for whatever I did and then turn around and hold a grudge against whichever one of the little turds did to me the thing that they just watched me do. It's convicting and I don't love it. But a couple months ago, I was playing catch with our nine-year-old twins indoors. And since my right shoulder's all messed up, I was playing left-handed and my left hand is not super accurate. And so at one point, I hit my daughter in the face and she cried. Not because she was hurt or bleeding, but because unfortunately my kids have a little bit more of me in them than their mother when it comes to toughness. And so I apologized. I said, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And she said, okay, I forgive you. And everything was fine. Fast forward 20 minutes. I was talking to Jenny, paying no attention. And Tommy decided to do his best Nolan Ryan impersonation and nail me with a fastball while I wasn't looking. Hit me straight in the head. And as I grabbed my aching bald dome, I started going over my options. I felt like I can't charge the mound. You're not supposed to fight children. And like something in my adult brain knew he was just messing around and also knew I had very, very recently been forgiven for accidentally hitting someone in the head with a ball when they were just messing around. But that wasn't the part of me that was winning. Like uncomfortably, I'll admit to you, I looked up at his smirking little face and thought, I'm gonna sell you on Facebook Marketplace. I got a spare that looks just the same. God's work is not finished in me yet. Forgiveness is great right up until the point where we have something to forgive. And I know the objection. It's like, yeah, 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 Mike, but you don't know my story. You don't know my story. You don't know my story. If you did, you'd understand why the very word forgiveness is offensive to me. And I might not know your story. I'd like to. That's an open offer to everyone in the room. I'll walk your journey with you. But even if I don't know your story, Jesus does. And he has something to say to you about the meaning, the purpose, the beauty, and the joy he created you for. And so I challenge you this morning to open up your heart and hear him out on this one. In Matthew 18, if you've got a Bible, you can open it up there. Jesus talks about forgiveness, and he tells maybe the most challenging story he's ever told. 
And he's just telling this crowd about what it looks like and how to do it and what it means in our lives. And he says, hey, if someone wrongs you, which isn't a very big if, right? It's more like a when. If you're around people at all, somebody's going to hurt you because people stink. Not you, just literally every other living human, right? She says, if somebody wrongs you, go talk to them about it and try and set it right. As in, go to their face, not go to Facebook, all right? And he's explaining this, and the crowd gets just a little bit confused. Like, they're not fully understanding what he means by this concept of forgiveness. And we know they're a little bit confused because one of his disciples, Peter, is clearly processing his words. He's trying to figure out what Jesus teaching means in his life and how he can apply it. And as soon as Jesus pauses to take a breath, Peter blurts out a question. Because Peter is a guy who likes to fill every moment of silence with words. He's my Bible soulmate. And this is what Peter asks Jesus. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And notice it's how many times should I forgive all those awful people? Not how many times do I want to be forgiven? Because Peter's also an idiot. It's the other reason he's my guy. But he goes, Jesus, should I, like, should I forgive him up to seven times? And we got to understand, Peter's showing off here, or at least he's trying to show off. He's going, I think I get what Jesus is saying, and I'm going to prove it to everybody around me. Because the whole crowd is made up of first century Jews, and they're rabbis, the great teachers of the law in that day and age, had declared that you should forgive someone three whole times for committing the same sin. Four forgivenesses is too many. It's one, two, three sins, you're out in the old forgiveness game. But Peter's catching on to the fact that Jesus might be telling everyone that forgiveness is bigger, broader, and more foundational than they've ever imagined. And so he's like, you know what? I'm going to crank it up to seven. And the crowd, when he said it, was probably pretty impressed. Like, seven, that's double plus one. And you can just, like Peter, you can picture him standing there with a big dumb grin on his face like, yeah, I'm pretty great. And then Jesus answers them. And the answer indicates there's a problem with that question. Peter has a fundamental misunderstanding of what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is all about. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, not seven, man. I tell you, 70 times seven or 77. Literally in Greek, it's 70 and 7. And so some translations will tell you 77. Some say 70 times 7. It doesn't matter at all because what Jesus is not doing here is just giving Peter a bigger number, like 77 or 490. He's speaking in hyperbole to let Peter know and everybody else know we are meant to forgive like to infinity and beyond. He's looking at Peter like, hey man, how many times have I forgiven you? A lot. And so as Peter's processing all this, the crowd is too, and they're a little bit skeptical. Because up to this point in their lives, they had been thinking that three forgivenesses was a stretch, and now Jesus completely blew that number and that concept out of the water. And they're like, really? And if we're honest, there are a lot of us who are skeptical too. We're running through our minds right now the names of the people who've blown not just past seven or 77, but blown past 490. Maybe you're sitting next to them right now. Don't elbow them, but like you might be sitting next to that person and you're thinking like, is it really possible to just continually exhibit 
this spirit of forgiveness. And Jesus knows we're going to be skeptical. So he tells this story because that's what Jesus does. It's a story about money, but it's not really about money. It's really about forgiveness. Teaching it in terms of money and debt that's owed, though, helps all of us get a bigger, better picture of this incredible thing God's inviting us into. This is what Jesus says. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And now, first things first, real quick. Jesus is saying being sinned against and forgiving is like settling accounts. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. A couple of things I want us to see here. First, everybody knows Jesus is making up a wild story here because that's an impossible debt to repay. Back in the day, one talent was equal to 6,000 denarii, and one denarius was about one day's wages, which means one talent is like 24 years worth of work. And so if you adjust for inflation and do the math and guess that the average salary in Iowa right now is about $50,000 a year, 10,000 talents means this guy owed the king roughly $12 billion. That's a big debt. That's maybe not repayable. And the king in the story realizes it's not repayable, so he's like, we're just going to have to sell him. Which, what a terrible time to be alive. By the way, I'm really thankful Wells Fargo cannot sell me and my family to pay my mortgage. But second thing we got to understand, and this one's critical because it's the big idea here, hurt creates debt. Hurt creates debt. What Jesus is trying to help us understand is that when someone sins against you, they create a debt-debtor relationship. And for things to be right again, something needs to be repaid. I don't think that concept is as foreign to us as it may seem. We're used to saying things like, hey, you owe me an apology. And we understand what it's like to be in in a space where we feel like we are owed something we're not getting. There's a debt. My boss owes me credit for that great idea. My husband owes me affection. My wife owes me respect. My parents owe me safety and security. We understand this this debt thing kind of naturally. And so our tendency when that happens and when we feel like there's a debt that's owed is just to wait for somebody to come pay it. And hopefully, if they hurt us, to come like groveling on their hands and knees, begging for forgiveness, asking what they could possibly do to make things right. We have imaginary conversations in our heads where that happens. Don't pretend I'm the only one who does this. Like we're standing there and we see them and we finally get to tell them all those lines that we've been practicing. It's going to go just how we want it. And other people are suddenly around and like, yeah, you are the worst. And finally, they realize how terrible they are. And they're like, yes. You're 100% right, I was 100% wrong. You're the best, I'm the worst, please forgive me. We want that to happen. And because we know there is a debt that was paid and we are victims and what happened was wrong, something in us is like, how far could I possibly be expected to bend in their direction? Well, Jesus continues the story. He says that this, the servant fell on his knees before the king. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. He's not paying back $12 billion, all right? But the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Like Everybody's minds are completely blown at this point. That's an impossible debt that got completely canceled. That's what forgiveness is. It's canceling the debt. It's wiping the account clean, saying, you owed me, but not 
anymore. And at this point, some of the people are like, wow, that's incredible, but, but what does this have specifically to do with me? Because I don't have any servants, and I definitely don't have anybody who owes me that kind of cash. And so Jesus continues this story, and it takes a little bit more relatable turn. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Still significant, 13, 14 grand in today's money, but repayable, right? He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And time out, this is powerful. This is the master saying to the servant, I canceled a debt at an impossible level for you and on an infinitely smaller scale, you couldn't do that for someone else. I expected you to do that for someone else. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. End of story. And we don't know how Peter's feeling in this moment, but I'd imagine that about halfway through, he realized, oh, this isn't going how I thought it was going to go. I was kind of hoping that as Jesus started this story, it was going to be like me and God teaming up to get that jerk who was mean to me. But I'm starting to suspect that maybe in the story, God is the king who forgave me an impossible debt, and I'm the jerk who walks out the door on a daily basis and goes all WWE on people who owe me infinitely less than I actually owe God. This is a problem. I think for most of us, we get that. We understand what Jesus is saying. We understand Peter's reaction, but something deep inside us says, yeah, but it's not fair. I really did get hurt. I really am a victim. There really is pain, and I'm supposed to cancel that debt, forgive, show mercy the way Jesus showed mercy to me. I don't want to. I don't want to. But that's how Jesus finishes the story. And then he concludes by making this one sentence commentary that is, it's one of those things Jesus said that when I'm in a place of pain, I wish I could take a Sharpie and cross out of my Bible. Or I wish I could minimize and pretend he didn't actually mean it, but I've found that it's best to assume Jesus knows what he's saying and he says it on purpose. Jesus looks at the crowd and says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. At this point, Peter's for sure sorry he brought it up. And I joke about it a little to add levity, but this is heavy stuff. It's not simple or lighthearted. The pain we carry is some of the hairiest, nastiest stuff in all of our lives. And I know if some of you stood up here and shared your stories, we would be with you in your anger and in your rage. The rest of us would be like, yeah, that's awful. Get them. But the truth is Jesus lays it bare here. He could not be more raw, clear, and unapologetic. You have to forgive. There's a debt, I know. Cancel the debt. I'm not leaving you another option. There is no plan B for your life. If you want to live fully alive, forgive. And if you don't, then you and me have a problem. And you're like, really, Jesus? 
I already had one enemy. I had one person I don't like. I don't need you to be my enemy too. But what Jesus is saying is like something's wrong in our relationship with God if we can't forgive. And he's not saying, to be clear, that when he says like God will treat us how we treat other people, that that's how we earn forgiveness from God. That it's some sort of quid pro quo system and that's the magic ticket. And if we'll just forgive other people, then God has to forgive us. There's no possible way we could earn it. Forgiveness is a free gift from God. What Jesus is trying to say is that our ability to forgive other people is the evidence that we understand we are forgiven. He's saying, if you can't forgive other people, then probably you have a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. Something inside you hasn't fully grasped the good news that you were helpless and hopeless and beyond saving, that you owed a debt so big you could never even dream of repaying it, but you didn't have to repay it because I stepped out of eternity into the human story and I gave everything so you could be forgiven and set free. I paid your debt. And when you get it, when you understand the level of forgiveness and freedom that I've offered you, it absolutely changes everything. It shifts the lens through which you see the entire world and the lens through which you see the hurt other people have caused you. Because it leaves you in this space where you can no longer exclude yourself from the company of sinners or exclude the person who hurt you from the company of humans. And once that's true, you can forgive even when you don't feel like it. I think sometimes we get caught up thinking about forgiveness as a feeling. Like forgiveness means I have these warm fuzzies toward this person that was awful to me. And that's not what forgiveness is at all. That's not what Jesus is saying in this story. Jesus isn't even saying that forgiveness is restoration to the same relationship or the same level of trust. Forgiveness is canceling somebody's debt to you because Jesus canceled yours. And it's what we do when we've been forgiven. Put simply, forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. I don't know, right now there may be a voice in your head screaming, yeah, but you still don't get it. It was so painful. It was so messed up. And I want you to hear me today. I believe you. I don't want to minimize that at all. God knows your story and believes your pain. And it was messed up. It was so messed up that he inserted himself into our story and he paid everything because of all the pain that you've suffered and all the pain that you've caused. Like it's so messed up that Jesus was willing to die for it. But the moment you decide what happened to you was more messed up than any of that. The moment you cling to it, the moment that you decide it's gonna be a part of your identity forever and it cannot be forgiven is the moment that you have gospel amnesia. You've lost sight of the cross. I think the truth is forgiveness doesn't minimize the hurt that happened. Bitterness minimizes the hurt that happened. If you hold on to it, you're holding on to this belief that somebody could write you a check or do something that makes it all okay again and it can't be done. The only thing that could actually set it right was the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Forgiveness is the thing that takes your hurt seriously and makes it out to be all that it should be. It's challenging though, because I think through the lens of our pain, forgiveness feels like this decision to reward our oppressor by setting them free. But through the lens of the cross, forgiveness is the decision to live fully into the freedom of the gift we've received and extend it to others because there's enough to go around. 
You guys, I desperately want us to understand this morning, forgiveness is something God wants for us, not from us, because he understands the decision to hold on to hatred is the decision to press the self-destruct button on our own lives. The decision to hold on to bitterness is the decision to live with a hole that causes happiness, joy, purpose, and beauty to leak from us continually. I know bitterness and anger and rage and hatred feel so right sometimes. I have felt them and I have felt justified in them. But the second we choose them, the second we get gospel amnesia is the moment we exchange the freedom and beauty God's trying to hand us for a life of hatred and bitterness. We rob ourselves of the story God wants to write. Like pain is a prison. And it's a prison where fear runs the show, the kind of fear that beats you down and steals your dreams and crushes your future. Like the mistakes that happen to you can be just as powerful and just as oppressive as the ones you choose. But we were made for more. We were built to live free. You guys, God forgives because that's who God is. And as we forgive the people around us, we live out the God image in us. But it's hard. It's a difficult decision that goes well beyond our feelings. I mean, those feelings are going to come. They're going to come whether we want them to come or not. Even if you forgive, you're going to have moments where you hop on social media and you see that person smiling and it just makes you want to puke that they're happy. Anybody ever been there? I've been there. And something in you is going to wonder, well, if I forgave, why do I still feel like this? Like if I actually walked the road, if I did what God asked me to do, how come I still have these negative feelings inside me? Let me be real with you for a minute. If you decide to walk this path, if you decide you're actually going to release the debts that you're owed, if you decide that that God's justice probably doesn't need your vengeance to help it along, if you decide to treat things that are a big deal like they are a big deal, right? Because forgiveness doesn't mean brushing it off and pretending it doesn't matter. That's a lie. It does matter. It matters a whole lot to God. So you're doing nobody, including yourself, any favors, pretending it doesn't. But if you decide to walk this path of forgiveness, you have an enemy who will stir up terrible, awful feelings in you. And here's why. If he can get you to doubt your ability to forgive other people horizontally, then he can try to get you to doubt God's ability to forgive you vertically. You can whisper the lie into your head continually. Well, you haven't forgiven others. God will never actually be able to forgive you because some things are unforgivable. And it's destructive, but it's real. I think, though, we don't have to listen to the voice of the enemy, but we can make the choice to forgive. And as you make that choice, you'll learn it was the decision to set a prisoner free, and that prisoner is you. Happiness happens when you plug the awful leak of bitterness in your life with forgiveness. But it's a process. And it's not a a simple one at all. This is a journey. So how do we do it? I have some pragmatic steps for you this morning. I've talked about these before, so maybe you've even done them before. But these are four steps I take regularly as I seek to forgive the people around me in the same way that I've been forgiven. Step one is identify who hurt you. Like you need to name them. Figure out who it was. Some of you know exactly who it was. It's that person you've been having imaginary conversations with. It's your, your mom or your dad or your husband or your wife or your ex or your boss or your friend or you. Sometimes you 
hurt you. And you got to be real about that too. But step one is identify who hurt you. Step two, calculate what they took and what they owe you. Figure out what exactly it was that got taken from you and what it cost you. Maybe even make a, a debt ledger like an accountant would and say, this is the sin, this is the cost. And this is actually an important step. I think some of us feel like, oh, I'm too mature for that. I don't really need it. But I, I'm convinced that's a self-defense mechanism because we know if we actually walk through what was taken and what it cost us, it won't come without a lot of pain and, and maybe even tears. It matters that we take the step of calculating what was taken from us and what is owed to make it right. And sometimes it's helpful to put a number on that. It doesn't have to be a dollar amount, like, oh, if someone handed me this amount of cash, everything would be fine. That's not how it works. Put whatever metric on you want. Call it life points. But find some way to quantify what was taken from you and what is owed to you, and then decide to cancel the debt. Again, forgiveness isn't a feeling. It's a decision of the will to cancel somebody's debt because that's what Jesus did for you. And it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do because we don't want to cancel the debt and and we want to be repaid. But I promise you, canceling debts is gaining even when it feels like losing. It's winning even when it feels like we're giving up. Because what we're gaining is hope and freedom and joy. And what we're giving up is the hatred, the bitterness, the jealousy, and the anger that have been weighing us down every day. I have a good friend who was abused for a while by a family member. And for a long time, she tried all the different strategies that are available, pretending it wasn't a big deal, just getting over it. You don't get over being abused. You get over a cold, like forgetting about it. Anger, hatred, bitterness. And I remember the day She sat in my office and said, hey, I don't think this thing is forgettable, but it is forgivable because of what Jesus did for me. What happened is always going to be a part of my story. I'm never going to get an apology for it, but I can't carry around the hate anymore. And so I'm just forgiving him. I'm forgiving him and he owes me nothing and I... I just decided to release my bitterness. And my, when I released the bitterness, it was like a future I could never see before exploded into color. I'll never forget that moment. You talk about tears. Like, what a powerful example of the painful, broken road it sometimes takes us to get to this beautiful place of freedom. Cancel the debt. And step four is this, this sneaky extra step. It's refuse to hold the debt against them ever again. Like, sometimes we talk about forgiveness and we slap it up against the word forgetting. Like, forgive and forget. (laughs) Forgive, okay? Forget doesn't happen. If forgetting was possible, forgiving would be really easy and it would come cheap. But it didn't come cheap. It cost Jesus his life. And so sometimes those memories are going to come. And when they come, there's a temptation that lives inside every single one of us to rewrite a debt that we used to cancel. But I got to let you know this morning, forgiveness doesn't work like the government student loan program where like you owe it and now you don't owe it and you owe it and then you don't owe it. Don't do that. 
decide, like, I'm canceling it, and I'm canceling it for good. There are moments in my life where I gotta be like, God, I let that go. They do not owe me. They do not owe me. They do not owe me. Refusing to rewrite the debts is not gonna make those memories less painful, but it will make them less poisonous. Because forgiveness is the pathway to the freedom that we're built for. It's a simple action lived out and a really profoundly complicated journey, but I want you to know it is the way we plug the leak of bitterness and allow God to fill us with the joy, the meaning, and the purpose he has for us and allow God to write the stories and the futures for us that he desperately wants to write. And I know some of us probably this morning need to take that first step. We need to find freedom. We need to release the bitterness and plug the leak and start living into the joy God wants to place in our hands. I think as we do, we begin to get a bigger, better picture of the gospel, a bigger, better picture of who God is and how much he loves because we realize that we're saved not just from our sins so that we can go to heaven, but saved to the lives God created us for as we become forgiven people who forgive and cancel the debts of the people around us. It is the most beautiful path forward. Will you guys pray with me? And real quick, before we do, I, I'm gonna invite you if you wanna take that step this morning. If today's a day where you're like, man, I, I need liberation. I gotta be set free. I've been carrying this around. It's crushing me. It's killing me. I got a leak and I gotta plug the leak this morning. I'm gonna pray and then in the middle of that prayer, I just want to invite you, if that's you, to, to pray with me and take that first step of plugging the leak and releasing the bitterness so that you can walk out of here toward the future God wants for you. Let's pray. God, you see our hurt. You see our pain. You see all the, the junk in our past, the wickedness in our hearts, and you died for it. You died to pay the debt none of us could pay on our own. Thank you for forgiving us. Would you give us today the, the, the strength and the grace we need to forgive others, to be forgiven people who forgive? And everybody, with, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if you want to take that step this morning, if you've been rolling over something in your head the whole time I've been talking and you just want to be a forgiven person who forgives, if you want to be set free, would you just, would you pray this with me now? Just clench your fists to start. Say, Lord, I recognize at the cross I lost my right not to forgive. Thank you for forgiving me. I've been harboring bitterness at fill in the blank, whoever it is, and they owe me something. But today I'm canceling the debt. Lord, let the pain of my past become a reminder of the beauty of your great love and forgiveness in my life. How would you just release your hands and say, debt canceled, debt canceled. Lord, thank you for canceling my debts and allowing me the freedom of canceling the debts that I'm owed. Amen.